Are you interested in knowing more about how to overcome imposter syndrome, finding your life mission, develop an oak-like strength? In this conversation, we delve into Andrew's remarkable journey. With a rich background in education and coaching, Andrew Anderson has become a number one international best-selling author, a captivating speaker, and a transformative coach. In this episode, we discuss some great insights, some of which are described in more detail in his best-selling book, Strength of the Oak, Strength of the Willow, How to Find Courage and Compassion in a Turbulent World. Listen to this episode until the end because he gives three amazing gifts for those who stay tuned and act fast. With him, we answer questions such as, what does it mean to be truly authentic? How can you cultivate authenticity in your life? How can you develop oak-like strength? How to overcome imposter syndrome? How can you diminish being affected by so much comparison? How can you discover your life mission? How does Andrew incorporate spirituality into coaching and how does he define it? What is the foundation of strength and courage in one's life? How do we know what is right? We talk about guilt, balancing priorities, leadership, elite coaching, and so much more. His purpose centers around helping individuals break free from limiting beliefs, fostering lasting freedom and attaining greatness in their personal lives and businesses. He's driven by a deep passion for empowering others to achieve their utmost potential and a profound commitment to his family. Are you ready to listen to this conversation? Have you ever wondered what makes people capable of creating changes that impact their lives and the world around them? What is their way of thinking, their mentality, their patterns, their perceptions of the world, their reactions to different life events? What influences them? My name is Cristina Puyol, and I invite you to join me in this adventure where we will explore together the mind of change makers. Today, I have with me a passionate and dedicated individual who believes in empowering others to reach their full potential with a background in education and coaching, which I can totally relate to. He has become a number one international best-selling author, speaker, and coach. Andrew Anderson's journey started in Boise, Idaho in the U.S. and included a two-year service mission in Belgium and France. After teaching high school for six years, he went on to build and lead a successful real estate coaching program, the Productivity Team, which gained recognition as a leader in the field. Andrew's ultimate drive comes from his family, and he strives to help individuals overcome limiting beliefs, find lasting freedom and achieve greatness in their lives and businesses. So help me in welcoming Andrew Anderson. How are you, Andrew? Oh, Christina, I'm happy today. I'm grateful that I get to be with you and this awesome tribe that is listening. Yeah, I know we have so many points in common that there's so many, you know, things that we can talk about. Um, but since you talk, I know that the title of your book is uh, Strength of the Oak, Strength of the Willow, which is an amazing name. Um, you talk about courage there. So I wanted to ask you for you before we dive into your life story also, yeah. what is courage for you? Well, courage comes from the French word cœur, which means heart. And when we do something from a place of courage, we are leading with our heart. And we never let our mind talk us out of something that our heart knows to be true. And when you say 
you know, it comes from our heart. If we are not in tune with our heart, how do we, you know, choose to listen to the heart and not to the mind? Well, we have to become very self-aware and most people don't have that kind of internal intelligence. They may know how to show up externally, but trusting that inner voice, whether it's your conscience or the Holy Spirit or whatever you call it, but recognizing that when your heart and your head are in alignment, then you are doing what you need to be doing. So it's trust. Trusting, trusting yourself. Yeah. So for everyone to get to know you a little bit more, can you tell us a little bit like your story, like what brought you to to today? Absolutely. Well, uh, rather than starting in 1985, when Dave and Christy Anderson uh, brought me into this world, we will start <laughs> maybe 10 years ago from the time of this recording. And mm -hmm. it was the fall of 2013. And I was at the top of my game. I had been married for almost seven years. We had two beautiful little girls and a third that was on the way. I had been teaching for six years and just finished my master's degree in education. We had just been transferred back home to our hometown of Boise, Idaho in the U.S. And I was loving life. And within a matter of a month, the move, the baby, the, the degree, and all of this took place. And my wife told me that she wanted to separate. I found myself living in my parents' basement, almost 30 years old, believing that not only had I failed her and my daughters, but I had failed God. And not only that, but my career also came to a halt due to the circumstances of the separation. I was no longer able to teach anymore. And this was my dark night of the soul, uh, living in my parents' basement. That's not where the story ends. That's where the story begins. But I always like to pause at that point and see if there's anything that you want to ask or that you would like me to share about that moment 10 years ago. I can dive in, I mean, a lot. Just wonder, like, how, how do we go in your case? How do you go from being disconnected not from the feelings of the other person that you share how was that for you and how you know did, do you now know and see the signs that you didn't see then well now i recognize that i took 100 responsibility for 100 of our marriage and family outcomes at the time and if i could go back to that version of myself i would say you know, rather than taking 100% responsibility for everything here, why don't you just take 100% responsibility for 50%? Okay. Because that's your contribution. She has 100% responsibility for her 50%, and you don't need to own that portion. But I was, and I felt a lot of guilt and an incredible amount of just condemning shame at that time. Why guilt? Well, guilt is an interesting emotion. Guilt comes from believing that we have not met a false expectation. And guilt always makes us want to run away from love and truth and light. And guilt never brings us back. It's love that brings us back. So I had false ideas and about 
not only hers, but God's and my own expectations. And they were damning me, stopping me, right, from progressing. And did you work at that time, like, to get together, back together? Like, was there a, a chance to do that? Or in, yes, in, we spent six months. And I was introduced to all things personal growth and development during those six months. I started pouring into books, started listening to podcasts and YouTube videos, and I was on this upward trajectory, and I was feeling so hopeful for our family. And it was Easter Sunday. It was literally almost six months from the time that we separated that she handed me a stack of papers and said, I'm done. I would like to get a divorce. And so on that redemptive Sunday where we celebrate all good things of newness and life and resurrection and hope, I came to an absolute stop. And that growth and my just all of the things that I was so excited about, I had to reset again. And and how do you go from there? Well, uh, it's the very first quote that I share in chapter one of my book, Strength of the Oak, Strength of the Willow. I was actually sitting on the bed in my parents' basement, and I remember reading from Viktor Frankl's book, Man's Search for Meaning. Mm. And if your listener doesn't know who Viktor Frankl is, he was a survivor of the Nazi concentration camps. And he wrote the book, Man's Search for Meaning, while he was in those camps. Yeah. And then he penned the words in nine days when he had gotten out. And this is what he said that I needed so badly to hear on my bed in my parents' basement. He said this. He said, there were always choices to make. Speaking about being in those concentration camps, there were always choices to make. Every day, every hour offered the opportunity to make a decision, a decision which determined whether you would or would not submit to those powers which threaten to rob you of your very self, your inner freedom, which determined whether or not you would become the plaything of circumstance, renouncing freedom and dignity to become molded in the form of the typical inmate. So I made a decision that I didn't want to be a prisoner anymore that no matter what happened externally, I would choose to be free from any internal consequences that I could control. And that was a game changer for my life. So say that again. Yeah, I would, I, I would no longer allow anything happening internally that would turn me into a prisoner. So regardless, just like Victor Frankl, regardless of his external circumstances, regardless of my marriage and family or career path, I would be free internally. And when we have those private internal victories, they turn into public victories that people can see, but it all starts here internally. But you still need time to process feelings. Yes. You know, it's like you're not skipping. I just want to bring that out because some people are like, okay, so I suppress, you know, and it's not about suppressing. No. It's just about recognizing a situation, uh, acknowledging your feelings, but then moving on to the to the next part of your life. Absolutely. In fact, I I think I've heard it said you know, from different people that what we resist persists. Persist. And in my book, I turned that around and I said, if what we resist persists, then what we lean into 
we learn from. And I love taking someone who's going through an extreme breakdown in their life and leaning into and learning everything we possibly can so they can have that beautiful redemptive breakthrough on the other side. And if we don't, then we continue to get more of the same. I guess it's helpful if you lean into something that you're scared to have like a, a coach like you side yeah. by side to to kind of hold hands by your, while you're leaning into that thing that they maybe fear, right? Mm. Exactly. That's nice. And who was there for you to help you lean into that? Oh, my goodness. I had so many angels, seen and unseen, as we <laughs> say. Um, my parents letting me live in their home. My older siblings, I'm the youngest of five. So I had four very supportive and loving and accepting siblings. I made new friends that I would have never made um, if I hadn't have gone through what I went through. And then there were old friends that that came out of the woodworks and were there for me. And then um, there was one gentleman in particular, I'll always remember, my dad woke up, I think at 3 a.m. And he had just this moment of inspiration, revelation, whatever you want to call it. And he knew that I needed to meet with a neighbor. And this neighbor of his had just kind of come to the end of his career. He had been the dean of psychology at a very prominent university in America. And I sat down in this older gentleman's home office and he helped me unwind beliefs and labels that had been placed on me by other professionals and my ex-wife. And as soon as he helped pull those labels off, they... Uh, that that allowed me to feel free that I could start with a clean slate and no longer have to live with the definitions of the past. Nice. Yeah. That sounds, uh, that sounds like a, you know, deep work uh, and really useful work. Yes. And it, was there anything? So when you go through these things, sometimes it really touches your worthiness. Hmm. So was how was that for you and did you find that over time you still had to do some work you know related with that oh certainly um it, it's interesting that you say that because as coaches whether our client wants to admit it or not when they are struggling i have found that it almost always right 90 plus percent of the times comes back to this belief about our value our worthiness being enough being lovable. And I had to create new thoughts. I had to actually create new neural pathways in my brain that could believe that I was worth live, li life was worth living and I was worth loving. Mm -hmm. And that uh, as a father, I could still show up in a way that my daughters needed me and that I could create a new family with someone else, which I have been extremely fortunate to do. Um, and so that was a process and it's still a process. And yet it's certainly a lot easier today when I'm tempted to believe that I'm not worthy uh, than it was originally when I was going through what I went through. Well, I think it's like a seed or a plant that you always have to water. And if you mm. don't water it, then it's going to, you know, it's not going to be happy. <laughs> it's going to come That's back. That's a beautiful seed. analogy. I love yeah. that. I also 
uh, love the analogy of being on an escalator that's going down. Mm-hmm. And if we don't do anything, we're going to go down too. And mm-hmm. if we just do barely enough, we're going to stay in the same place. So we have to constantly be heading upward if we want to make it to the top. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so how was it then for you afterwards? How did you, so you said, you know, you were in, in your parents' um um, yeah basement <laughs> basement yeah thank you and then uh, you made a choice to not let anything uh, bring you down as much as possible right. then how did you start from there what was like first steps because I'm sure there's people listening and thinking yeah mm-hmm. I'm there or I'm still there you know right so for me as I had always been the breadwinner and provider for that little family and I never wanted that to change and so I poured into a new career and I, I learned um, that I could have an influence on people through sales, you know, which is very different from education. Uh, and I sold real estate for one year where I learned about personal growth and development and mindset. And I, I got a coach. And after doing that for a year, I was offered a position to start coaching. I was essentially doing for adults what I'd been doing for teenagers in the classroom uh, just in a different environment now. Yeah. And I learned that I loved it because every teenager turns into an adult and most adults are just pretending not to be teenagers because they still struggle <laughs> with the same insecurities that they had yeah. when they were, you know, a kid. Yeah. And so that, that path of pouring into my ability to provide financially and find confidence in professional skills helped to create a very solid foundation for the personal growth that happened simultaneously. I think it's kind of interesting now that you mentioned that, that a lot of uh, salespeople get a lot of training in personal development and, you know, and emotions and more so that people that are not in sales, you know, and mm-hmm. it's interesting because we all should have some training in that area because it's really learning how all these things works, you know, our body, our mind. And, uh, and more, it's more, in, it used to be not, you know, now it's more accessible, but it used to be a lot of salespeople that learn about human behavior more than yes. anybody else. Yeah. yeah. And one of my great mentors, Gary Keller says that the definition of sales is helping people make good decisions. And isn't that what we're all doing? Aren't we all trying to help our our children and our friends and our family and and our coworkers? And if if you're employed, your boss, or if you're the boss, your you know your your work associates. Like, aren't we all trying to help people make good decisions? That's mm-hmm. what sales is to me. And the degree to which we can help others make good decisions, and we're trusting that we're able to ourselves make good decisions. And with that kind of confidence, we become powerful leaders in this world. And that's what the world is lacking. It's lacking leadership. Those who are grounded in integrity, that have the courage to show up and do what's right, and the compassion to help others that are struggling to do what's right in on their journey as well. Yeah. So on that, what you just mentioned, saying, how do you know what is right? I believe that we are born with that ability. And some people they lose that ability to know right from wrong because they're taught differently. But I don't think that that pilot light ever goes out. 
uh, in Pinocchio, it was Jiminy Cricket, that conscience. In a in a Judeo-Christian world, we talk about that light of Christ. Uh, I believe that we all have that innate ability to turn off all external distractions, whether it be food, drugs, alcohol, social media, like anything. We can turn off distractions and we can listen to that inner voice to know what is right. I was listening to someone today and speaking that if we lose our authenticity, hmm. which means disconnecting from ourselves, then it's much harder to do the right thing because then we're doing whatever else, you know, we think is right. And it's linked to the attachment that we all need. You know, there's a basic need of humans to be attached. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so it sounds also related to that, to be able to turn off and connect with your own authenticity and uh, and tune into that, like you're saying, you know, and I think today is a challenge with so many distractions and 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 things going on so yeah well we become we become dependent of other people's thoughts beliefs opinions as if we need validation from mm -hmm. them for us to feel good about ourselves and if we can go from that place of dependency into a place of independence where i am self-reliant upon what I know to be right, and I don't rely upon anyone else, then we can get to a place of interdependence where you and I are providing something for one another right now that's moving our missions forward in this life. And I can't do this without you and you can't do this without me, but we don't get here until we break from dependency and have a place of independence. And yeah. that, when we can get to that point, is where we can do so much together in a relationship, in a community, in a family, in a workplace. It's having that solo reliance, that independence that provides the ability to then create the interdependence. Yeah, and that and that's such a interesting topic, theme, the thing of dependence and independence, hmm. right? Because now there's a lot of talk also about codependence, but how yeah. do you balance between, you know, knowing that you're independent? So let me let me rephrase sure. this. So I see like two types of people. I always say there's yin and yang, right? So yin are yes. the people that always point to themselves for all the blames, all the problems, mm -hmm. all the things. Yeah. And yang is the people that point outside for all the blames, all the things, all the problems. And then there is the balance. And so if you are very dependent, usually it's like, it's your, you know, you are the problem and you need that person. And so there is, there is right. like, um, but there's also the people that are young, which says I'm the right. I know this yeah. is right. And I don't listen to anyone because I know it's right. And I really don't listen to anyone, but from a point of, you know, I want to impose my own ideas. So for those type of people, how can they listen more? Well, in your, in your practice of coaching. Sure. Well, this is a great time to introduce the analogy of the strength of the oak and the strength of the willow, mm -hmm. because there's not a better tree. Like what's better, the oak or the willow? Well, they're, di they're different. They're not competing. They're complementary. And the oak gets its strength because it doesn't bend. It is extremely durable and it can live for a very long time. And when the storm comes, it doesn't budge 
one inch. The willow strength comes by being able to bend in the storm. When it loses its branches, the branches can be placed in the ground and grow a new tree immediately. And it allows the winds to rip through and it doesn't break. And so whether it's the courageous oak or the compassionate willow, we need both of those strengths within us. And while we may tend to be leaning toward one side or the other of those, it doesn't mean that we can't develop and learn how to be more courageous or more compassionate. And I think having great models like the Mother Teresa's, uh, who are the strength of the willow, or you know the the strengths of the of the oak. When we think of you know the Martin Luther Kings that are just you know doing what maybe Martha you know Mother Teresa wasn't able to do. So when we have those models and we can show up in those ways and recognize that we need both, then we don't get too stuck from a place of positionality. We can bend and learn and grow and develop in multiple, multiple ways. So it sounds like it, it's developing more your consciousness to know whether you're being more oak or willow and whether that's the right time to be an oak or a willow. Yeah. And if the answer is always the same, so meaning I am always showing up as an oak, then you're going to be wrong a lot of the time or if, <laughs> you know, vice versa. So it, the answer is never the same. And yet um, when, when we are able, as you said, to tap in to that inner, that inner voice and authentically, you know, answer that call of what we know to be right, then we can have that assurance that we are on the right path living from a place of, of compassion and, and passion as well. And when you have clients that are more the willow that feel that they don't have the courage, what are things that they can do or that you help them do or think or change their mind uh, to become more courageous? So let me share a little bit about the oak. The oak is one of the longest living trees on the planet. And what it does is it has this incredible root system that will go out horizontally two to three times the size of its canopy, right? To develop this really incredible base of support. But before it ever does that, it sends a vertical root. It's called a tap root to tap into a source of water. And mm -hmm. once it reaches that source of water, it never leaves and it can draw on it forever. Most people don't have a grounded source of purpose, of meaning, of life-giving, right? Life-giving substance. They are not able to withstand the turbulence of life because they don't have that root system. So what I do with a client who is struggling to have more of that courageous oak-like strength is we identify very quickly what their life mission is, what it is that lights them up. And when they die, what they want to be able to say their purpose was for the last 80, 90 years of their life. So that's where I start with someone who may be you know, struggling. I think it's so powerful what you said that, you know, visualizing that you find that root, you know, that purpose, that water, that source, that thing 
that gives you the courage, but it's not giving you the courage. It's just giving you the motivation, the foundation. I don't know the word, but I just see it like having that always there. And maybe it will change over time. But if you visualize that, I think it's so powerful because then you don't have to think about, do I have the courage or I am not enough or I'm not. No, you have that. And that is your pillar, your source. So I think the way you put it is so beautiful. And I want really people to listen to this part again. Yeah, because it is. It's can, essential. I think in, yeah. Sp- in Spanish, I've heard, you know, um, plan de vida. In, in Japanese, it's ikigai. In French, it's raison d'être. In in English, I call it it's a, it's a life mission. Viktor Frankl knew what needed to be done, even though his parents, his wife, who was pregnant with their first child, his friend, everyone, everyone was taken. They destroyed all of his manuscripts that he had been writing and working on. Everything was taken. But the last, as he says, of the human freedoms, a decision to determine, you know, who we will be, and no one can take away your choice. And so when you recognize that no matter what happens, you have a purpose and you have meaning in this world, that you matter and that there are those around you that are praying and yearning for your unique gifts. And as soon as you can connect your unique gifts to those that need you, you're you're there, you're tapping in to that life mission. And that's kind of the definition also of courage is being you. It's yes. being your authentic you and showing up and not hiding that from anyone, thinking that is not worth it. It's really courageous to show up as you. Exactly. And it's compassionate. It's compassionate because you're no longer having to compare yourself to anyone else. And you're okay with the vulnerability and the weakness and the challenge and you're not beating yourself up for it so it takes courage to be compassionate it it is both of those strengths all wrapped into one i think for the young people today it's complicated with all the social media to find their values and and to not compare themselves how do you help i know you don't work maybe with so many young people now but how do you help not i think the adults do it anyway too so how do you help not comparing so not looking for comparison when it's so easy to compare yourself now um, you know i do work with a lot of young people I, I taught teenagers for 6 years i have a foundation that i am building okay. right now that is providing coaching to young adults and it's a nonprofit so nice. i 100% am committed to teaching these things to this rising generation so i have what I call the seven deadly sins that break down burnout and eventually bankrupt entrepreneurs. And these seven deadly sins are the same thing that will take anyone down. I just use them in a business setting because it's easily applicable. The first is imposter syndrome. And the way that we get past imposter syndrome is by getting connected to our life mission. The second is what you just said, comparison. The way that we no longer have to compare is because we stop taking our outsides, sorry, our insides and comparing them to other people's outsides, right? We stop comparing our behind the scenes to everyone else's highlight reels. And if we are rooted in a life mission, no longer feeling like an imposter, then there is no need of comparison, 
And what I do is I take my client through a very simple process that helps them identify what their core values are. And once you have a life mission, which are the vertical roots, and then the values and principles that are meaningful to you, you have the horizontal roots. And with those three things, a life mission, values, and principles, you have what you need to sustain the growth that will come up above the surface, which is what everyone else sees. So that's how we take care of comparison. And how is it for young people to find their life mission? Because it sounds very daunting, like very big thing, you know? Well, it can be. And I was fortunate enough to have clarity on my life mission when I was 14 years old. Oh, and wow. I thought that every adult knew what their life mission was. And now that I realize that majority of them don't, I know why God gave that to me at such a young age so I could help other people find theirs. And so for a young person, I actually had the opportunity to speak to a group of uh, young women ages about 11 to 18 this very week. And I chatted with them about something deep inside them that human eyes had never seen before. And I used this beautiful analogy of something in my backpack that human eyes have never seen before. And I say, how many of you believe me? And like, no one does, right? And I say, no, really. And I look in the bag and I say, there's something in this bag that human eyes have never seen before. And I'm looking down in the bag and, and then I say, do you believe me? And they're like thinking I'm just messing with them, right? Yeah. And then I bring a volunteer up and I show them what's inside the bag. And I show them an apple. And they look at me and they're confused because they're thinking, we've seen an apple. <laughs> yeah, we've seen, you've seen that. We're all seeing it. And then I whisper in her ear and I say, it's the seeds. No human eyes have ever seen these very seeds inside this very apple. And then I tell them, even though you don't believe me as an adult or a parent or a teacher, we know there's something inside you. And if you can trust me, I'll help you get inside and see what's there. And it doesn't take a long time. We can get inside someone's heart just as quickly as we can open up an apple. And so you have to first build that trust and share some of your own story as I have done with you and the listener today. Um, so that's that's what I do. I use that analogy with a young person to start. I love it. It's just amazing. <laughs> you were also keeping me like, what is it that no one has seen? And it's so beautiful because... I actually used an analogy that is different. It's about driving a car. Mm -hmm. And um, I say like, you know, your parents learn maybe to drive a motorcycle and maybe, you know, a car and then maybe you're a Porsche and nobody knows how to, you know, in your family to drive a Porsche because you cannot drive a Porsche the same way that you do a motorcycle. Yes. And, and, you know, if your parents have a car, but it's like a four by four, you know, they can go in the mountain, but you cannot take a Ferrari to the mountain, you know? Yeah. So they can tell you some rules that will apply to drive a port, but you have to figure out how to drive it on your own. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and yeah, it's, but I like your analogy. Amazing. Amazing. So I, you know, in, in my book, I, I go in depth in, in finding that life mission and identifying the values and the principles. And it's not complicated. If it is complicated, then we're, we're looking in the wrong place. We're doing it the wrong way. I had an incredible art teacher. Uh, he taught me how to paint when I was 14 years old uh, in uh, ninth grade. 
um, a freshman in high school, we say here in the in the U.S. And I was wanting to do this beautiful scenery of these red rocks in southern Utah, northern Arizona, this lake called Lake Powell. It's just gorgeous. And and I, I had done all of the landscaping and I, I just needed to complete the water. And there was this beautiful wave, this ripple through this lake that I was trying to recreate. And I went up to him and I said, Mr. Goodwin, I, I don't know. I don't know how to do this. And he looked at me and he grabbed my paintbrush and he went like this. And he looked at me and I looked at him and I looked at the paper and, and I was in awe at what he had done with one swoop of the paintbrush. And then he said, kiss, keep it simple, stupid. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and and if we are overcomplicating it, yeah. then we're looking beyond the mark. We're, we're trying too hard. So we just keep it simple. You know who it is that needs your gifts when you begin serving others. And I would invite your listener today if they're feeling lost or they don't know what the first step is to identify their their plan de vida, their ikigai, raison d'être, their you know life mission, go out and serve somebody. In fact, I would challenge you to just stop listening to this right now and find someone immediately, whether it's through a text, an email, someone in your own home, at your office, across the street, go serve someone. And in serving someone, you are losing yourself to find yourself, is how Jesus put it. And when you get into that state of service, you will find those that you were called to serve, and your unique gifts will come to the surface, and you'll know exactly what you were meant to do. I like that, because I've heard so many times, like, go to your childhood, you know, and see what you like, and da-da-da-da, and it's like... Well, what if you never had the opportunity to try something that you really like as a kid, yeah. you know, and then you find out as an adult or you never been able to serve because you were starving and there's nothing else that you could do but to find food. You know, there's just you have to explore sometimes. So I think that's a great thing just to go out and serve and your gifts will come up. Yeah, yeah they will. Yeah, that's a great thing. And what are. You, you work with a lot of leaders and uh, we have some leaders in our uh, listeners. Um, so yeah. what are common things that they struggle? Well, leaders have innate characteristics that got them to where they're at. And those characteristics are very visible. People know what they're good at. And what I find with highly successful people, whether it's within the business world or in any form of leadership, is that they too struggle with imposter syndrome, the first of the seven deadly sins. And they also struggle with comparison, the second. And they it's just different because they live a life that is so visible, they're pretending even more. And a lot of them actually don't know what their life mission is. They've just taken the skills and abilities they have and maximize them to agree to a degree that has been extremely serviceable. But they have falsely believed that that level of success as a leader is their identity rather than a vehicle to help them live out their life mission. So whether it's a young person who doesn't know what their purpose is or a very highly successful, you know, visible leader in our in our community, 
they struggle with the same thing. They feel like an imposter. They feel like they're faking it and never really making it. They're winning in this space, but they're losing in their family, in their relationship, or in their fitness, or their faith. One of those things is about to break, but no one knows. And that's when I love to come in and say, hey, there are things that have happened in your life that you are unaware of, that you have unconsciously been resisting. And if we can lean into and learn from those things, then we can let go of all of those limiting beliefs and negative emotions that are making you feel like an imposter. And once we have that breakthrough, we uproot all of that nasty stuff underneath the surface, we can then plant something beautiful as they get grounded to a life mission. And they can have something that they've never had before. Sounds exciting the way that you explain it. <laughs> mm -hmm. It is exciting. And life yeah. should be exciting. Yeah. It's exciting when I go mountain biking like I did this morning with my brother-in-law. And we go over that bridge and we go down that. And it's a thrill. It doesn't mean it's easy, but it's exciting. Mm. And if things don't light you up from a place of love and joy and excitement, then you're not living an authentic life grounded to a mission and a purpose. It should be exciting. It doesn't have to be rainbows and butterflies and, no, you know, exactly. but yeah. it should move you from the inside. You shouldn't need an external something, a reward or a benefit or a retirement date that is pulling you forward. It should be coming from within. And I think it's in, you know, very important, this distinction that you made about overcoming the imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. Because at the same time, I think like when you go to the next level in your life, you will feel the imposter syndrome because you are in a new like stage where you're a beginner again. But that's different from the one that you were saying, where you're like carrying this baggage with you that you don't want to mm -hmm. let go. And so I think that's uh, it's 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 good to make the distinction that you made, you know, that if you're carrying all this baggage, it's going to yeah. make you feel, you know, no matter what state you are, even if you go down, you're still going to feel imposter syndrome. Right. So that's an important work to do, and especially as leader entrepreneurs to let go of that so you can serve better the people that are following you. Absolutely. Very important. Thank you. That was well, very well said, Christina. <laughs> Thank you. What are things that you are working on now? Well, we have seven children. The oldest is 15. Oh my gosh. The, the youngest is six months. So I am working on being an even more present and a more committed father and husband and spending time with my family. That is my number one priority next to my belief and commitment to God, because I believe that this is his stewardship that he's given me. And so like, that's, that's number one. So I'm working on that. And I am also building this nonprofit to provide the scholarship uh, coaching if needed to these young adults. Um, that's an exciting thing. And then I'm also always figuring out how do I impact more people through my speaking, my writing, and my coaching. So I'm continuing to grow my coaching team and business, and I'm always writing and speaking. So th those are the three things uh, that I'm working on, my family, my nonprofit, and then my my business. And do you find that as coach, uh, people still don't know what coaching is? Yeah, it's still relatively new. I mean, we're only probably two decades into coaching being, um, you know, very visible. It started in the 90s, really. And um, so, yeah, there's a lot of people that I tell them, 
I'm a life and business coach. And you're like, what is that? Yeah. So yes, I get that a lot. And also like now at the same time, like there's a lot of, uh, you know, I, I, I got this thing in Instagram, $7 or euros. I don't remember for a coaching course. And I'm like, what? <laughs> you know, it's like, what can that be? <laughs> you know? So at the same time, there's a lot of, um, I don't know, easy coaching titles that yeah. kind of disrupt, you know, the seriousness and the powerfulness of being a coach. Don't you think, right. I don't know your experience, but that's my experience. Yeah. Well, I look at it like perfume and cologne. All right. Perfume and cologne have been around as long as body odor has been around, which is forever. Right. Yeah. So you can buy in America, we have what we call the dollar store and you can go and get items for a dollar and you can go and buy some perfume or cologne for a dollar, or you can go to the highest retail stores on the most expensive streets in America and you can get Chanel. And the difference is, is that each store only gets one or two Chanel items instead of having this commodity, which is like, it, so it, there's a difference, right? And as much as I would like to coach hundreds of people at a given time, I reached a max capacity earlier this year of 47. And I told my wife right before we had baby number seven, <laughs> and I told my assistant, we need to cut this back to 20 in the next year. I, 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 can, I can't coach more than 20. And then I'm starting to realize that I should cut that back even more because if I'm building leaders who are coaching and building others and I'm building a nonprofit, then I need to work with less direct clients so I can empower others to empower others. Yeah. And so when it comes to coaching, just like perfume and cologne, it can be a commodity. You can get a coaching program for $7. Or you can work with someone who is elite that is in a zone of genius like yourself. And, and I would consider myself at that, that stage that has put in over 10,000 hours and has been doing this for several years and won't work with just anyone. And we're not competing on price. We're truly a scarce resource because of our time. And so if you are comparing coaches based on pricing, um, then you're probably looking at it the wrong way. And that's okay for now because um, maybe you do need the $7 course. But if it's not getting the results that you want, you probably need to invest some more so you can get what you haven't gotten before in your life. To go to the next level. Yeah. Yeah. I think we need to talk more about that too so that um, people realize the powerfulness of coaching. Um, I don't know how, well, I kind of know how it's in the U.S., but in Spain, a lot of people associate, you know, the strength thing, either, you know, you're wrong, you know, something's wrong with you if you have to go to a therapist, whatever type. Mm -hmm. And uh, and a coaching is not a psychologist, so they don't know, you know, so they, yeah, they've taken a course, but it's not serious, they cannot help you. So we're still working here to get more the awareness of what coaching can do, and there's different type of coaching and coaches too. That is something that is still in progress in Spain. <laughs> Absolutely. Saw. Well, I think it's in progress everywhere in the world. And if the listener wants to know my perspective on the difference, it's this. A, a coach who is elite, right, at the top of their game will approach every individual having three characteristics. Every person that I see come in front of me, I believe, is creative, 
resourceful and whole. They're not broken. They are resourceful and can come up with ideas, strategies, plans. They don't need me to create the solutions like a consultant would. And they are whole, right? They're not broken. We don't have to fix them. We just have to help them see themselves as they are and identify the creativity and the resourcefulness within them. And when we can pour into that, then they are no longer dependent upon us. And we now have an independence in the client, an independence in myself, and we are interdependent. And now we get to focus on growth. How do we expand and magnify your life mission to bring you what you truly want in your life? I think it's so important not to create dependency with your coach um, on both sides. And I think that's the best way. You know, you've put it beautifully to always believe in the create creativityness. I don't know how to mm -hmm. say that well. Yeah, creativity. Creativity yeah. and uh, and the wholeness. And that's so important. We're not fixing anyone. We're just, you know, tapping into helping them see things from a different point of view so that that's they right. can get to another another part of their lives on our level in their lives so so beautiful and just um i know we're running out of time and i really want to talk for like another hour <laughs> yeah, we can do another show down the road yeah yeah how do you mix um if you do and i'm, I'm asking this from because i know uh, you're very spiritual How do you bring that into your coaching, whether it's your presence, your inner work, or do you also work with your clients in that sense? Well, I use what I call a wheel of life with every client. And we look at six different areas. Um, usually I enter a conversation with someone because of the career. Um, but career is just one of six slices of this pie of this wheel of life. We also have relationship, whether they're in one or not. We also have family. Everyone came from a family and or have created one. They have their health, which is their physical fitness and nutrition. They have their personal growth and development, and then they have spirituality. So when I sit down with someone, I say, spirituality is different to every individual. And I want you to know what my definition of spirituality is. And I want to know the definition of yours. And my goal here is not to create a life that is similar and mirroring mine, I want to understand what the best version of your life looks like and help you attain that. So then I say for me, spirituality is my connection with my creator and the degree to which I believe I am living in alignment with the will of my father and mother in heaven. And am I, am I doing that? So that's what spirituality means to me. And then I ask them, what does spirituality mean to you? And if they're an atheist, that's okay. If they're agnostic, if they're highly religious, or if they just love being in nature, that's fine. Unless I truly think that they're doing something that's harming themselves or others. I don't coach people that are not ecologically, you know, uh, yeah. you know, situated in their life. So that's how I approach it. And do people, like if they're not, if they're not agnostic, for example, mm -hmm. or they are a very different religion, do they get turned away from you or anything when some you know when you bring the wheel of life and talk about spirituality i have yet to have that ever be a problem and the reason why in fact i tell my wife like it's incredible that i will sometimes 
uh, have clients that begin working with me and I find out that they used to be a member of the same religious belief system that I am and they have left that faith, but they're still working with me. And I think one of the reasons why they're able to do that is because I have zero judgment towards them. I just want to love them and serve them. And if we're really coming from a place of authentic love and non-judgment, then they can sense that. So I, I, I work with very few that have the exact same religious and spiritual beliefs as I do. I love that. And I love that people can feel that from you because I think that's so important that if you come from love and if if whatever belief you have makes you a better person, mm -hmm. you know, it doesn't matter what your beliefs are. If it makes you a better person and better with everyone around, you know, that's the whole point of any religious, spiritual belief to make you a better person, you know. So I think that's amazing. Well, that's in my book, a little, I'll, I'll give away one of the secrets. And I I believe that that, strength of the oak and the willow in all of us, it all comes down to that one very thing, and that is love. And that's where we find the greatest strength in our life. It's in finding love for ourselves connected to our highest and best self. And if that connects you to God, great. And if it connects you to the universe or to source or spirit or nature, awesome. And then being able to share that love and help others find it as well. That's what It all comes down to for me. And I think what you mentioned before as uh, as leaders and having the compassion, when someone is hurt, then talking about love is going to piss them off more. <laughs> and so I think it's great when you find leaders that have the compassion to understand that and create the space, you know, so that yes. people can bring, express their hurt and be heard. I hope my English is good enough yes. so that they can take that out and heal it. And then, you know, can then tune in with love because at the end, if you're hurting, love is like, you know, it really, it pisses you off. It's like, exactly. no. yeah. Well, you asked me earlier to define what courage means to me. And I gave you the French etymology, which is cur of the heart. Compassion, the word passion comes from path, like pathology and passion means suffering. In Christianity, they talk about the passion of the Christ, which was his suffering. So passion means suffering and calm means with. So we're no longer suffering because of someone and we're no longer suffering in their suffering with them. That's empathy. Empathy means in. So pathology, empathy, passion, same roots. Empathy is being in it with them, right? You're owning it. And compassion is suffering with and alongside. And so if we can be there with them and not in it, not owning it, but if we can be with them from a place of love then we no longer have to be suffering because of or in it like they are. And Andrew, is there anything that I haven't asked you that you want to share as we reach uh, the end of the podcast? Oh, I just, if everyone can go and serve someone today, if, if they didn't take the invitation before, if they can take that invitation now, you will find again those who you were meant to be in service to, and you will find your unique gifts and talents and that life mission will unfold. You can find more information, certainly in my book. And if you're wanting to dive in more, I am just kindly going to offer, I, I wish I could talk to every person that listens to this podcast personally, and I can do so if you want to listen to me, read my book to you on Audible, but 
I will, I will gladly spend time with the first three people that would like to book a 30 minute session with me. I will do that gratuitously. All they would have to do is go to freecall.andrewlanderson.com. First three people, freecall.andrewlanderson.com. And I would gladly spend 30 minutes pouring into whoever those three people are that, that answer that, that call. Thank you. Thank you so much. That is really generous. And I hope really whoever is listening to this, take advantage of that. And we will add the links in the notes of the mm -hmm. podcast so people can find that. And also when we post it in social media so that people can follow you and can take advantage of this amazing gift. And I want to thank you for your time. Thank you for all the wisdom that you share mm -hmm. with us. Thank you for your story, for your kindness and for being here with me. Christina, thank you for building this platform and the trust with your listener to allow me to come in and then build that trust as well. You're doing remarkable things in your life mission. I know that for sure. Thank you so much. Have a beautiful day.